I'm Dawn Durham and welcome to Patent Pod. As we consider our classrooms, kindergarten through high school, the management strategies and practices we employ need to be meaningful, evidence aligned, and trauma informed. Joining Patent Pod today is Dr. Tim Noster from McDowell Institute College of Education at Bloomsburg University to help us understand the connection between classroom management and trauma informed practices. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today on Patent Pod. We're excited to have you here with us. Let me ask you this, and I just want to kind of put everything into first a context for our viewers to really have a sense of where it is we're going with our conversation today. When we talk about classroom management practices, where do they fall within a multi-tiered system of support? So thanks for having me today. And uh, yes, I mean, when you think about uh, classroom management, in particular trauma-informed preventative classroom management strategies, they actually fit across all tiers of a multi-tiered system. Um, we'll work our way backward from the upper tier to perhaps universal prevention for all kids. Um, we'll spend most of our time talking about that universal preventative piece, which is the most generalizable aspect of those trauma-informed practices. But uh, in classroom environments where there are individual kids who have, for example, um, individualized behavior support plans, that may or may not be connected to an IEP. Uh, again, uh, behavior support plans aren't unique to just kids who have uh, IEPs um, in uh, classroom environments. Uh, the classroom setting, the context itself, the environment itself is a part of or the location within which that behavior support plan is implemented. So having trauma-informed classroom management practices in place for everybody in the classroom environment creates a conducive context or environment within which to implement that behavior support plan. Mm -hmm. If we kind of work our way backward into say targeted supports at a tier two level, the same type of argument can be made in that any type of practice that's going to be implemented with a particular student, even if they're receiving say targeted supports in some type of group setting, that's going to occur within that larger environment where the group setting actually occurs. And then of course, ultimately, when we bring that back to universal preventative level, this is really where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, with or the sweet spot in terms of looking at trauma-informed approaches through a teacher's lens. Um, when we're talking about kids getting supports at advanced tiers, um, it's by no means out of the question and actually is predictable that those kids may be getting, for example, um, trauma-specific types of supports. Uh, in the form of mental health treatments. Well, that's not the bailiwick or their domain of what a classroom teacher would be providing, right? But mm -hmm. the primary mechanism or thing that a classroom teacher provides is that universal preventative classroom management approach or those tier one approaches. In that instance, the core basic practices of establishing and building rapport, um, establishing clear expectations with embedded social emotional learning within those expectations is relevant. Um, high density of behavior specific praise, achieving a four to one ratio of reinforcement to corrective feedback is relevant. And then related to that, uh, other uh, parallel strategies such as having a high frequency of opportunities to respond which gets into empowerment and opportunities for kids to engage with the curriculum and within the classroom environment with one another in a structured manner. These are all part of a trauma-informed approach at the universal preventative level. So 
to the basic question you were asking, how does this impact across the tiers? Every single tier, it's relevant. But the real sweet spot for classroom teachers and the general spot is that universal preventative piece. You know, as you're going through this, Tim, I was writing down a couple of key pieces that you had said. And when we think about that, whether we're talking about advanced tiers or we're talking about that universal preventative nature, what, what is best for all kids, what you're really talking about is creating a conducive environment. That's what I hear you saying is creating a conducive environment for academics, for social emotional learning, for all of us, the, the teachers, the educators in the room, and the students to really have full success in that environment. And I heard you mention a couple of key pieces, a key aspects when we think about that universal preventative nature, rapport, clear expectations, um, behavior specific praise, and increased response opportunities. Did I get all those right? Yep, absolutely. Those four are the key things. And, you know, another way to kind of paraphrase exactly what you were saying, so you were spot on with it, is that all kids benefit from a trauma-informed approach. It's just not Kid, or it's not limited to just the kids who may actually be experiencing trauma themselves. Um, it creates that environment where it's conducive for the kid who is experiencing trauma, but it is equally applicable, relevant, and facilitative to learning for all kids in general. I think that's such a key piece. All kids benefit from trauma-informed practices and behavior management strategies. That's, I think that's a very big piece that we want to kind of continue to draw upon. So let me ask you this, and you know, this is the reality, and we have to be able to talk about this. Teacher shortage is a concern. In Pennsylvania and across the nation, we know teacher shortage is a concern. And the literature has recently cited that classroom management has been identified as a key understanding of why teachers are leaving the field. So what can districts, what can administrators do to support these educators around classroom management and trauma-informed practices within these tiers? So that's a great question. And that phenomena of um, classroom management, for lack of a, a, a different uh, descriptor for it, as being one of the top reasons why educators leave the field early, that trend or pattern has been there for some time, um, but it has become even more pronounced. Um, and I'm sure in part exacerbated by the pandemic. Sure. Uh, when, you, when you take into account classroom management is more than just how do the kids behave, yeah. but it's the entire environmental conditions one's working under. Um, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't start by acknowledging that the reality is that teachers today, more than ever before, at least in my career, and I've been around for a while, uh, that, that what they're navigating uh, in terms of shifting from hybrid to virtual online to traditional face-to-face -face and back again, where kids getting quarantined, whole classes getting quarantined, whole school buildings shutting down for three or four days to go totally virtual. Um, it took a job or a professional <laughs> skill set that was already high challenge, high demand, and has put it at a level that, that is uh, exponentially even more challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, so having said that, the, the issue of supporting teachers has always been relevant uh, as it pertains to classroom management, but I would argue it's, it, it, I can't imagine when it's been more relevant uh, for some time because of what's, uh, what's occurred with this pandemic. Uh, and uh, obviously the Delta variant and other variants that are unfortunately emerging and or soon to come. Um, with that as kind of uh, a preface to, to what I'll talk about, there are a number of things that school administrators can do. Um, first and foremost is being tuned into the fact that 
um, staff need to be able to make sure that they're at a healthy space and place themselves in order to position themselves to be helpful to kids, all kids, and in particular, kids that might be uh, really struggling yeah. at a given point in time. So uh, administrators that acknowledge that, kind of embrace that, and have open, candid conversations with staff about self-care, um, pro providing mechanisms that can uh, encourage and support and facilitate um, staff being tuned into and taking care of their needs in the process is absolutely, if not a prerequisite, uh, essential. You know, the, the old uh, analogy or metaphor of, you know, when you get on a plane to fly somewhere, uh, the flight attendant goes over the whole nine yards and they talk about if the, you know, the cabin loses pressure, this thing that looks like a sippy straw with a plastic cup on the end comes down. But they tell you a key thing and it's put it on yourself first before you try to help other people. Well, that's for a very obvious reason. They want passengers to be a part of the solution, not become part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And that same type of mindset lends itself here when we're talking about administrators supporting their uh, frontline instructional staff with kids. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's absolutely essential to do. Now, some very specific things that administrators can do is the obvious, support professional development and growth. But what I often find sometimes is that becomes almost myopically the entire focus, um, which somewhat implies that, well, all we have to do is provide training to teachers and then all these practices will magically get put in place and things will start to get better. Um, and I completely understand the intent of it, uh, but it's easy to kind of go down that slippery slope. Professional development is essential, but it is not the only core feature that needs to be in place. If we think about MTSS structures, and in particular the PBIS framework, mm -hmm. there are three interrelated cogs that drive that PBIS framework. That's data systems, right, in terms of how they're structured, um, actual systems to process and utilize the data to inform practice, as well as the practices that, say, classroom teachers put in place. So professional development addresses the practices piece, but professional development by itself does not address the data and the systems piece. That's where true building level and administrative and central office leadership comes into play is making sure there are functional data systems in place and that in turn there are systems that help educators use those data in a meaningful manner to actually design and provide supports to kids. Now, a large part of that is understanding that I would argue very strongly that having a framework such as the PBIS framework mm -hmm. is mostly about supporting adult behavior the byproduct of that is that we see positive growth in student behavior and student learning and student achievement. So those systems that get put in place when we think about data, systems and practices, one of the systems are how do we use the data? Other systems are how do we support classroom teachers? One way is professional development, but that's not the only way. Um, working in teaming structures and asking teachers, what do you need in order to implement these practices to address these needs of the kids that have kind of bubbled up 
either through informal or formal screening uh, and or perhaps are, say, returning uh, from a more restrictive placement. Um, how do we support you to be able to implement these practices so that the conversation then doesn't devolve into should we or shouldn't we or why should I have to, but rather what do you need in order to be able to do this? How can we help you to be able to implement these practices with fidelity? So that's one key thing that administrators can absolutely do is to make sure that those data and systems pieces which is really outside of the direct influence of say a given classroom teacher are in place. Those are true leadership component pieces. Building off of that, also what administrators can do is really help educators and in particular classroom teachers to see how what they do with universal prevention is situated within the MTSS structure for the purposes of messaging, information dissemination to various constituencies, including say families and parents, as well as the kids. Um, and then in turn, uh, using those structures as a way to further enhance what goes on in the school as the building being kind of the unit of analysis and the classroom being a microcosm of that larger building unit. So what administrators really are, are charged with and well positioned with is kind of helping classroom teachers see one, the big picture as to how to what they do day in and day out with the kids in the classroom, as well as in non-classroom settings like hallways, cafeteria, bus platform, et cetera, how that fits into the bigger picture of the MTSS structure in the school, incorporating professional development in there, but understanding that just professional development by itself is not sufficient and ensuring that the data and the systems are in place to support educators to be able to implement those trauma-informed practices. You know, Tim, you, you said it beautifully that administrators are really positioned to do this, that they have that role um, and the, that ability to look at and be very open and transparent about the health of the staff to ensure um, professional development. But in addition, as you had mentioned, it's great to sit there and get some learning, but what happens when you leave that, that classroom or that seminar or that webinar with that information to make sure that those data systems are in place? And really, teamings and structures you talked about, implementation of fidelity, and ensuring that we see universal prevention as a piece of the multi-tiered system of support. And I think all those pieces and parts that you've talked about really go back to that first conversation you and I had about creating a conducive environment, creating that environment that permits and allows positive interactions, solid relationships, student um, positive student academic success. And I think it all kind of starts to, I think I'm hearing it all kind of start to tie together. No, absolutely. Again, you talk about environments, you can define them lots of different ways. You have a building level environment, you have classroom environments, and I would argue you even have the space or the learning space that's individualized for individual kid environments within classroom settings. Um, but that's exactly right. We're talking about, again, weaving it back to one of the first principles I talked about, is that when we put in place trauma-informed preventative practices at the tier one level, and we do that with some degree of fidelity that's in place, all kids benefit from that. Yeah. It sets the stage to be able to provide those additional supports to kids that need those additional supports when we look at things through an equity lens, but it sets the stage for all kids to grow and kind of prosper. 
as a result of that. And arguably, I would say it's not just about the kids. When these structures and, and supports are put in place, it's really about supporting the adults because those are essentially not to totally equate the roles, but to take it back to what the airline attendant would talk about is you got to take care of your needs in order to be able to help other people address their needs. So these things do all fit together. You know, I want to I want to just pause here and just do a slight a slight pivot. You know, you you mentioned PBIS. You mentioned it's really about supporting adult behavior, which in turn supports student behavior and then student academic outcomes. When we think about PBIS and we think about trauma-informed practices, they really they really complement each other. I mean, as you had said, you, and you've repeated it, and I think it's worth repeating, all kids benefit from trauma-informed practices. And therefore, when we think about that PBIS structure, we're, we're kind of in parallel here, right? No, I, I, absolutely. This is a hand-in-glove fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would argue it's not alignment, it's synthesis. These are one and the same. Uh, it's a symbiotic relationship without question. Yep, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, we can take this even to a more granular level when you think about the core, the core kind of beliefs or principles involved with trauma-informed care. Um, so, of course, um, uh, SAMHSA at the federal level uh, identifies trauma-informed care as having six major component parts. Mm -hmm. In Pennsylvania, and particularly within PDE, they've taken those six component parts and they've distilled those into five different domains. Um, those domains include safety, trustworthiness, collaboration and mutuality, um, empowerment, voice and choice, and then uh, lastly, cultural sensitivity. So what we can do is when we look at the types of, say, practices, the, the teaching behaviors, if you want to call them that, um, those actual strategies that get implemented, they align very, very well with those five domains that are laid out there. Let me give a couple concrete examples. So, for example, establishing three to five positively stated broad expectations and embedding social emotional learning within that. Well, that helps to create a safe and conducive learning environment for kids. That helps to create predictable routines for kids. It helps to create um, a set of norms for how kids interact with one another, how the adults interact with the kids, how the kids in turn interact with the adults in return, and I would argue how the adults interact with adults, at least when in eye shot and earshot of the kids at a minimum, right? Um, so, you know, uh, that addresses kind of a, the safety aspect of things. When we talk about building rapport as a core ingredient of a tier one or universal preventative trauma-informed classroom approach. We're talking about building trustworthiness because we know that establishing rapport with kids, if it's based on nothing else, it's based on establishing an understanding of trust. Mm -hmm. Understanding that even though what you as a teacher might be saying to me at this moment, I may not be happy to hear, even if I'm getting perhaps redirected for something that I've not done particularly well, um, I know that you have my best interest. I trust in that. So yes, I might not be smiley, giggly, happy, and huggy at the moment, but I understand it and I'm going to kind of deal with that from that lens as opposed to why are you always picking on me? Uh, you don't have my back. You don't care about me, right? Mm -hmm. The totally antithesis or opposite 
of rapport. When we talk about opportunities to respond, another one of those core preventative approaches I had alluded to earlier briefly. Well, having a high level of OTRs uh, absolutely gets at the issue of empowerment, voice, and choice being factored into the ebb and flow of instruction of what goes on within a classroom, allowing kids with multiple ways to engage with the curriculum, allowing kids with multiple ways to demonstrate their competencies or skills that they've either mastered or that they're in the process of mastering, they're in that instructional level, so to speak, um, hopefully not at the frustration level. Uh, but the bottom line is engaging kids and having kids be a part of that process. Also, the other thing to keep in mind is when we think about some of these examples I'm sharing, I'm kind of describing them as if they fall exclusively within one trauma-informed domain, but they really cut across multiple domains. Like, for example, the three to five expectations, I describe that as being aligned with addressing the safety domain of trauma-informed care, which it absolutely does. But if you engage kids in the process of helping you to articulate and identify what those expectations look like and sound like in the classroom, by engaging them in the process, you are empowering them. They're having a voice as to what's going to occur within our learning community here. What are the established norms that we're all going to agree to adhere to? And when I say we, I mean the big we, not just we as kids, but we as kids, you as my teacher, this paraprofessional, when the building principal comes into the classroom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these things absolutely align perfectly with trauma-informed care. The, the other last piece I'll toss in here please, um, please. is that when we talk about embedding social-emotional learning, for example, mm -hmm. within behavioral expectations, here there's a really perfect alignment or synergy that occurs with Pennsylvania's career-ready skills in that they cut across obviously pre-K to K and then grade level bands all the way up through nine to 12. Well, when you look at the core component parts of those uh, Pennsylvania career ready skills, they are social emotional learning or perhaps more um, conversationally described a little less jargony, life skills. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that the primary leaders in industry and business talk about when they talk about future workforces. Um, most champions in labor and industry, when you talk to people in chambers of commerce, they're less concerned about kids coming out of school, not having the technical skills to do the task they have to do. They're more concerned with kids transitioning out of school that they show up on time. They're able to get along with their coworkers. They can problem solve. Um, they demonstrate good ethical behavior. Well, these are the core roots of what's in Pennsylvania's career ready skills. These are the core roots of what's in social emotional learning. And these things embedded within expectations within a, a PBIS framework, um, you couldn't design it in a more aligned manner. 
It truly is all intersected. I mean, that's what I, every time I keep writing, I have all these arrows going, same thing. We're connecting, we're connecting, it's working together. You had said it's really that synthesizing. It's coming all together, that intersection. And you had talked about the classroom management practices are really all addressing in some capacity those five domains. And when we think about those five domains, we're talking about trauma-informed practices. And when we think about what we're doing with our practices, we're looking and, and really gearing kids up in those PA-ready, career-ready skills. So it's not just what's happening here today in this classroom, it's what's happening next year for the next classroom, as well as what's happening five, year, five years, ten years down the line for these kiddos. And I think it's all, I think it's really important that we point out the intersection between PBIS, classroom management, trauma-informed practices. And as you had said, it kind of all synthesizes beautifully. Uh, I think you had said it's not really aligned, it's, it's all merging together. And, and really what we're doing, I'm going to say it again, and I know you'll, you'll agree with me, all kids benefit from trauma-informed practices, not just those we think need it. It's really for all students. And I think when we think about a multi-tiered system of support, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that universal prevention piece. No, that, that's absolutely uh, ac accurate without question. And the one thing I mentioned quickly, but it's been more implied in some of the comments that I've shared, is that trauma-informed approaches in school-based programs and addressing issue of equities are inextricably connected. Mm. <laughs> These are not like, okay, well, we have to deal with trauma-informed practice here and equity issues here. Um, equity is about, uh, you know, having access to opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. um, some kids need more at certain times of certain types of supports based on a variety of life circumstances. And one of those could be experiencing trauma or if not experiencing trauma in a full-blown fashion, um, kids that are experiencing emotional distress that might not necessarily be long-lasting trauma, or when you think about the preponderance of kids that experience even just a traumatic event in their life, which is not the same thing as trauma, um, prior to the pandemic, close to two-thirds of kids in schools experience at least one traumatic event mm -hmm. in their life prior to the point in time where they're eligible to get their driver's license. Okay. Now, layer on top of that, the pandemic, and I would argue that mm -hmm. that's a traumatic event that everybody has experienced. So the, the reality is, you know, every single kid in school has been living through and working through a traumatic mm -hmm. experience very recently known as the pandemic um, because it's been an upheaval on so many levels, right? Not just for say the kid themselves, but their parents. Parents are, are, have either lost jobs um, and or uh, those kids that perhaps maybe there weren't say food insecurities before. There are food insecurities now. And when you throw on top of that, supply chain issues that we're experiencing now, even if you have the wherewithal and the means, um, that access and depending on what it is and when it is and where you go to find it is more challenging. So um, traumatic experiences are kind of part and parcel of what we've all been navigating to some point in time. Um, many of the kids in schools will uh, develop and or are sufficiently resilient to bounce back from this. But there are going to be kids that this is going to be a large part of what becomes their trauma narrative as well moving forward. Um, we could have the same parallel conversation, frankly, for professional educators and adults as well, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So the, the key is though to understand that 
to really get at the roots of addressing issues around equity in terms of access and opportunity, um, implementing trauma-informed approaches and doing it in an organized fashion within MTSS and PBIS frameworks is absolutely the way to go. Uh, you know what, Tim, I think that's such a great way to kind of wrap up wrap up what we're talking about here is when we think about equity, access, and opportunities, and we have to account for the fact that, as you had mentioned, all of our students and all of us adults are still within this traumatic event of ours. Because I, I, I think it's still it's still part of the life and that we're navigating here. And it goes back to we all are going to benefit from those trauma-informed practices. And within a structure, as you said, an organized, systematic structure like PBIS within an MTSS framework. So I think that's such a great piece to kind of um, really hone in on as we continue our conversation. And, and we want others to continue the conversation around um, best practices within a uh, classroom for academics, behavior, social emotional learning, and the learning environment in general. So Tim, I can't thank you enough. It has been such a joy having you on Patent Pod to have this very needed and very relevant conversation. So thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Don, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity and I wish you and everybody else uh, well in all your endeavors moving forward. Thanks Thank again. Thank you. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to Connor Strategus for producing this episode. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.